Hello, and welcome to another episode of In Conversation. I'm your host, Pat King. Today on the show, I had a lovely chat with Rise Against guitarist Zach Blair. Starting all the way back in 1999 in Chicago, Rise Against has steadily become one of the biggest names in punk rock, selling out huge venues all around the world. In many ways, the band has carried the baton from groups like The Descendants and Bad Religion, who helped to introduce hardcore to a wider audience by incorporating elements of pop and folk. With the recent resurgence in popularity of hardcore, Blair and I had a great discussion on the importance of that music and how he sees it moving forward. As someone who has played in not only Rise Against, but with Hagfish, Only Crime, and Guar, Blair had some amazing insights on the evolution of punk rock. In this conversation, we also discussed last year's Rise Against album, Nowhere Generation, and its recently released companion EP, Nowhere Generation 2. His new podcast, Antiheroes, where he talks to some of his favorite guitarists, the insane talent of his mentor, Bill Stevenson, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Nice setup. <clears throat> well, I have a podcast. I have uh, it's called Anti Heroes, and I interview guitar players, uh, just guys that I like. Um, there's a, the first episode actually just came out, and it's uh, it was Stefan Edgerton from the Descendants, and uh, the next episode will be Buzz Osborne from the Melvins. And oh man, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's just guys that I like and that aren't always like in the guitar press that are you know, these, these really have such a voice and are doing something so creative. It brings so much to the conversation that probably don't get enough guitar exposure. So, uh, a guy approached me, uh, actually the drummer for the band, the cold war kids, uh, his name's Joseph Plummer. And, uh, he was in modest mouse. He was in the shins. He has a platform and he approached me with like, do you want to bring anything over? And I was like, what about this idea? So, yeah. So either way, all that to have said, I have to have a, I had to get like a rig. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you enjoy it? Like, do you enjoy the medium? Do you enjoy interviewing? I, yeah, I love it. I really love it. I mean, you know, I like talking and, and, <laughs> and I'm obsessed with guitar and music and, you know, and always have been, it's all I do. I'm, I don't like sports, you know, I don't like normal shit that everybody else likes. So I'm just sort of still completely obsessed with, with this. It's all I really think about all we talk about all my friends are, you know, degenerate musicians and uh, <laughs> uh so i figure well i might as well record these conversations you know oh that's awesome yeah it's funny i i mean i kind of started you know i'm I'm a music journalist but i kind of fell into podcasting just because you know ears to feed they just need someone to do it so i've i've kind sure. of viewed it as like a way of overcoming fears in a sense. Like I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm like, sure. I'm like, do I want people to hear me bumble through interviews? Like do <laughs> like, but, yeah. but it, I don't know. I, I feel like doing it. I don't know if you've noticed, but it, it, it kind of has made me kind of think about the way I speak and the way I, I interact. Sure. Like, have you, have you noticed that listening back to, to. Absolutely. And I notice I sort of, you know, I have a very hurried way of speaking um, because I'm sort of hyper and, you know, very energetic and, uh, I'll, I'll sort of mispronounce words 
often, you know, more than, and it's made me sort of take notice of that uh, and, and then correct myself, but I'll, you know, it's like, it's like the thought is happening quicker than my mouth can move. And uh, I never really noticed that about myself. I just said it when I said notice. Um, <laughs> I never really, I never really paid attention. And so it has made me sort of do some stock taking with that for sure. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like I've noticed you know, my line of questioning and, and it kind of came through with, you know, how I write in, in some senses, but like, I can never like, like I, I've definitely thought about how to build a conversation better than actually just tossing out fragments and stuff like that. And like sure. having ideas, like get ahead of yourself. Um, sure. Are, are there any like white whale guitarists that you want to speak with on, on the podcast? Oh man. I mean, yeah, there's a whole bunch, you know, and but oddly enough, I got to a lot of them. I mean, we've already done uh, uh, we're working on the second season already. It's called the Anti Heroes, by the way, and it's on the Ruinous Media Network. It's wherever you can find podcasts. Are we recording, by the way? Are we have we started? Uh, yeah, I, I have it recording. I was just figuring, you know. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, we just started. Um, anyway, um, you know, I would love to talk to. Uh, Man, that's a good question. Like Adrian Ballou. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Robert Fripp. Um, I would have loved to have talked to Andy Gill. Unfortunately, he passed away. Um, you know, those guys that were doing something so anti-conventional, those guys that were, it's so hard to get out of the ubiquitous guitar stereotyped tropes. And I I myself I don't think I've done as good a job as I could have to where you sort of hear all the white noise and you're like, I know I'm supposed to be doing this and I know I'm supposed to sound like this. And I know I'm supposed to play this, these guitars and this, these amps and do all these other sorts of things, but I'm going to do it this way. And actually my, my interview, you know, I interviewed Buzz Osborne and it was all about that, about how he took all of those things and what makes him, him and such a genius is that he still said, I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I know what you're telling me to do, but I'm going to do it this way and I'm going to do these different things. Um, Kurt Balu from Converge, another guy that, that, that definitely did that. And, and those other guys I mentioned, you know, uh, you know, Robert Quine from Richard Hell and the Voidoids, uh, John McGeoch from uh, Magazine, you know, these guys that sort of heard everything you know you're, i if you present your world yourself to the world as i am a guitar player then everybody's gonna go oh well then you need to do this you need to sound this way you need so i wanted my podcast to be for guys that aren't necessarily listening to that and and doing something different stefan edgerton from the dissonance he's the episode that's up right now absolutely that guy you know he plays the guitars he wants to play he plays the way he wants to play he is unto himself and that's always so interested in me and i think it's because i personally would rather have a better grasp on that you know my inner voice than i do actually yeah i mean it is funny with guitar music there are you you would think there would be more people in in the worlds of of punk and hardcore and, and things like that who who can kind of have a freeing aspect to their playing and and it, it's really kind of rare in a sense you sure, know I, I, sure. I think of a band like deer hoof or, or something like oh, that absolutely who, that's a great example you know they're they're just i i can't think of another band they've influenced so many bands but i can't think of another band that kind of has Sounds the same like interplay yeah yeah another guitar player would have been pat smear you know for what 
you know, Pat Smear still sounds like Pat Smear, no matter if he was in the germs or in the Foo Fighters, he still plays like Pat Smear and no one sounds like that. And he always used his own guitar, you know, he's Hagstrom guitars and guitars that other people didn't use and stuff. And uh, yeah, so it's just that kind of an idea. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is kind of, it's it's interesting now, you know, I, I feel like with, you know, Fender kind of having those projections that, you know, guitar sales are on the rise, especially with sure. with young girls, which is which is exciting. But also just the kind of musical landscape is so interesting right now. Like, I feel like, you know, with bands like Idols or bands like Turnstile, you know, it, sure. it seems like maybe since the early 80s, maybe since the late 80s, um, that kind of post-punk and hardcore are really these youthful movements now i absolutely absolutely um i i guess how how do you feel about that like have you noticed this shift in in a way i have noticed it and it's odd you you bring that up because i've had these conversations where this thing that was so youth motivated in the first place um is still done by the guys the sort of uh you know the mount rushmore of this those that scene you know guys like like uh walter schreifels who's you know, I'm lucky enough to call a close personal friend. We have a band together, but Walter still does it just as good as Walter ever did it. Walter was, in my opinion, one of the the stalwarts, the sort of seminal voices in the movement. And now with Turnstile and with, you know, uh, younger bands sort of holding the torch, it is still such a youth based thing. But it's also like Tony Hawk still skates and skates very, very well and, and schools people every time he does it. So it is a youth-based thing, but I think it's almost, it, it sort of, uh, it, it really goes a far to prove the point that youth is in your mind and youth is, is how you carry yourself as a human being. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Uh, I think if you stay young in, in your head and heart, you are young, no matter how many, uh, uh, years you've been on this planet or alive, you know, and I think, like I said, Tony Hawk is still Tony Hawk. You're still very impressed every time he skates and you're still very impressed every time you see Walter Schreifels play an instrument, as is the case, I'm sure, with the turnstile guys in another 20, 30 years. They're very, very good at what they do, and they're definitely carrying the torch for this youth based movement and it's so refreshing to see that the youth can still do it so well and it is so catered toward them and it doesn't disprove what those guys original mission statement was i mean fuck the band was called youth of today yeah you know <laughs> you can't get much you know you can't get much more on the nose than that but it is so refreshing we just got to see turnstile play in paris uh just a few weeks ago and it's unbelievable they're so great so great what they do i'm so impressed by them yeah and it, it's really you know, I feel like with Turnstile, you know, of course they like take elements from from different things. You know, like they're very, um, I don't want to call them accessible because they are a hardcore band. But sure. I feel like in the past, maybe, um, you know, element, you know, I think maybe hardcore has found ways into the mainstream, but it not in such a pure sense. It, do you agree with that? Maybe. I do agree with that. Um, I I agree with that in the fact that like it's a hard correlation, but hardcore's influence on what became pop punk, you know, there would be like breakdowns and stuff. So you would hear these little elements yeah, of right. hardcore music, and then how pop punk has somehow 
now back in sort of the zeitgeist of popular music where, you know, I guess it's like rap and has sort of co converged with pop punk again, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> like the, the blink 182 version of pop punk and Travis Parker's everywhere playing with all these artists. And that to me is bananas. I, it, I never thought that was going to happen. And it is with almost every current rap artist there, they have a pop punk song or a pop punk breakdown or a chorus or whatever it might be you know with machine gun kelly and things like that which i'm all for you know i mean it's really odd that you know quote unquote punk rock is still so relevant after all these it's gone through so many different incarn incarnation incarnations see i just did it yeah um <laughs> uh that maybe you can't even still call it punk because it wasn't that is not what it originally was set out to do but i can hear hardcore music influence with that for sure and to the layman to the young kid that doesn't know what hardcore was or the cbgb movement or any of that stuff they're gonna like turnstile just because they're younger and they're they're making cool music they don't know where it's from or what it is but i can listen to that stuff and go that's bad brains right you know that's that's the song secret 77 that's uh, quickness that's whatever that riff is you know i can dissect it because i know i know the source material like it's in my blood yeah um, i mean it's, it's interesting you know. like i remember reading an interview with um that that rapper vince staples uh yeah and he was being asked about kind of like glory days 90s hip-hop and he was honest with the interviewer and he was just like you know like people always ask me about that and i'm tired of kind of having to you know prove my bona fides in a way and, right. and saying that, like, and he went on to say that, you know, he was more influenced by, you know, 2010s rap. And I feel like that there is, you know, I think punk has kind of needed that in, in a sense, a similar right. thing where people kind of stop having to, you know, sing the praises of 77 punk or early 80s hardcore in a sense, even though that stuff is great, but there kind of needs to be you know, a, a passing of the torch in a sense, right? Sure. I mean, you know, it definitely happened with rock and roll at a certain point, people stopped having to sort of give praise to Bill Haley in the comments and all this <laughs> yeah, and, right. and all this stuff, you know, it's, it's true though. Then it was like, well, Beatles was everybody's favorite band. And then it was, you know, uh, the Eagles or whatever it might have been, you know, through the decades. So yes, I do agree with that. Um, it's not for me to judge whoever's art, that I might not particularly care for. And it definitely makes me sound like the old man shaking my fist at the sky that they aren't sort of paying homage to the, the, the ones that came before them. Right. You know, our band rise against definitely do. But then again, our band rise against our guys in our forties, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So maybe, maybe we're the door slamming, you know, maybe we're, the last of that that is going to go well you should listen to the circle jerks or minor threat or the descendants or black flag or you know whatever it might be the germs uh, the ramones maybe we're the last ones to do that and maybe the new things that are pop punk or punk to them their version of that is blink 182 it is what happened in the 90s and more power to them you know i i i mean I, 
that is it's that's what it's youth culture is set up to do you know it eats its tail right and and it should you know honestly it should yeah i mean it's it's interesting you know like you brought up uh stephen edgerton of of descendants and you know with and you've actually played with both of these bands but bands like descendants and bad religion I feel like what they were able to do is kind of prove in a sense by adding elements of like pop songcraft and, and folk with bad religion that you can kind of age gracefully in hardcore and punk in, in by, you know, I I guess broadening your, your scope a little bit. And I, I kind of, I, I think rise against, you know, that that's kind of your superpower in a way, like you found a way to kind of, you know, add these elements in and, and it really has made your catalog age so gracefully. Like, do you feel as though the band is kind of a continuation of that lineage in, in a sense? Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. That's, that's a, that's high praise. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if that's for me to say, if I think that we're continuing though, I know we're trying, you know, I know that we would be very honored to, to be bestowed with that sort of uh, uh, responsibility um, we're lucky that we've had a career as long as we've had, and we've been able to influence people. We've been able to play with those bands that are our favorite bands. But, you know, speaking of them, I think it goes back to our Tony Hawk analogy where you're seeing these guys that were the original guys that are still doing it just as well as anybody else, if not better. And you get to go see them in real time and you should while they're still playing and, and get blown away and, and, you're getting to go see Brian Baker and bad religion. That was not only in bad religion, but dag nasty and minor threat. So three of the most influential uh, archetype uh, uh, punk rock bands that, that we all know. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, dag nasty and bad religion were the blueprint for most punk and pop punk uh, that we listen to today. As far as, the things that Brian brought to the guitar. I mean, honestly, I've told Brian that, you know? Um, so to be considered in any sort of lineage with, with any of those bands, I mean, we're, we're just, you know, more than thrilled, but for us, we still feel like we have so much work to do that we kind of keep our heads down and just kind of keep doing what we do, you know? Right. Right. And, you know, with, with this last record, uh, nowhere generation and this EP that just came out, which is kind of, um, almost it's it's like putting these together it's like the the actual you know full uh scope of the record that you intended right like um sure. you just had some leftover tracks um i i guess you know the band has always found ways to write about you know really pressing things in society um you know wealth equality inequality and and uh um, right. and just kind of rigged politics and and things like that i i guess you know, it's it's a it's a little cliche to ask a punk band about if they took inspiration from the Trump presidency, but it seemed like a fertile time. I I, I guess was it was it and and kind of what was the writing process like this time around? I mean, there's no way to be to be a band like we are and to be a band that is political and does talk about things and you know issues that are important to us. There's no way that that presidency didn't influence lyrical content. I don't write lyrics in Rise Against. The amazingly talented Mr. Tim McElrath does. He writes 100% of their lyrics. So far be it for me to, you know, to answer for him. 
But I do know because we're close that, you know, there was no escaping that awful, awful, awful blight on our, um, uh, I won't say, you know, and the American politics is definitely something to, to discuss. I don't think it's always, you know, it's ever been, uh, uh, something to brag about, you know, or be <laughs> lauded, but I do feel like that was a particularly dark time for our country and for us as Americans. Um, so the, in being, Tim being who he is, there's no way there was, that was, he was going to be able to escape that. And none of it was positive. You know, the only positive was like, well, you know, I guess it can't get worse. <laughs> so, so let's, let's look on the brighter side. What can we do to affect change ourselves? What can we do to get out there? Now there's work ahead of us. You know, I think we got, um, as people that give a fuck about anyone else in life during the Obama years, we got a little, uh, lax because, you know, things were good, um, or as good as American politics could have been in my opinion. Now I'm a big old lefty lib, so that's just my opinion. Sometimes I lean to the left and sometimes I lean even further to the left and, uh, to quote John Cougar Mellencamp, <laughs> um, the great American. Um, but it definitely put a lot of work ahead of all of us. You know, there are people that, that are sort of concerned and uh, aware, conscious, or, you know, have a fucking heart at all. And it put a lot of work ahead of us. And, and you know, with our band, we tend to sort of talk about those things in lyrics. So I think it did the only positive effect it had is that it, it forced us to create, I guess. Uh, I would have rather not had to have <laughs> fucking dealt with that awful shit, but you know, whatever. Anyway. Um, so yeah, with the lyrics, I, I can't really speak to that. Um, but with the writing process, it just kind of happened the way it always does. Hey, I've got this riff. What do you got? And everybody gets in a room and just does it. Um, that's the one great thing about being in a band after all these years is that that process is still the same. It's just, it feels like it did when you're 15 years old in a garage with your buddies, you know? Right. Yeah. It, well, it's, yeah. it's funny. Like I, I was thinking about this today, you know, a, a big thing that everyone was talking about, you know, when Trump first got elected was like, oh, well, it's going to be great for punk rock. Like that was the joke that was going around. And, um, when you think about, kind of writing for a certain situation like that there you run the risk of kind of tying yourself to an era um like you know a lot of there there are some hardcore songs and some punk songs that you know name check reagan or, or something like that sure. and, they, and it kind of seems a little goofy and dated you know at some points but i feel like when you when you go back and hear, you know, uh, I guess 60s protest songs or sure. or the songs that really nail it from the Reagan era and also the Bush era, um, you know, they seem timeless. Like, I feel like it was a galvan. They if you view those eras and the music that came out of them, they were angry eras. But I think for the most part, a lot of that anger is timeless and and kind of justified and 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 really kind of. <laughs> influential like a lot of influential sure. music came out of those eras um i was thinking about it because i was listening back to the song the numbers on the new album Our, yeah. and and just it meaning so much more to me now with the supreme court 
<laughs> and and, yeah. and I feel like that's kind of the power of Tim's writing and, and with this band is is you're kind of able to write in a way um like Swing Life Away is is such a, a timeless song because it, it really does kind of sum up the American experience for a lot of people and and, right. and the numbers does that as well. Um I I guess is that a risk that comes with writing for the times in some ways? Sure. I mean, you know, it, it could be really easy to date, date yourself with that if you're sp- talking about something too specific. But unfortunately, in American politics, there's no there's never a sort of poverty of of atrocity <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to to speak out against. And, you know, I'm sure I could speak for our entire band where we really would much rather have not dealt with fucking Trump. We would have come up with something to write about either way. Um you know, uh, that would have been great to not have to deal with what with that four years. And then what's happened since because of his Supreme Court nominations that have life nom- long nominations and are young. This is unfortunately maybe this is the tip of the spear, you know, rolling back a woman's right to her own body, you know, so it's fucking awful, you know, um, it's it's got to be bad when you you sort of um look back fondly on the bush years do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, like right, wow right. i wish we had that guy back you know what i mean it's 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 and that guy was a fucking war criminal too so anyway um i'm sorry i go off in tangents and then i forget the original question but uh um well it's well it's it's funny because you know i was i was kind of thinking about you know um because i i I was thinking about like um, the punk that came out during the Iraq war and, and even like bigger bands like Pearl jam, you know, kind of making these grand statements and, and really kind of, you know, uh, you know, walking, walking the walk with it, you know, and really kind of putting their money where their mouth was. And then I was thinking about, I was thinking about all the punk or at least the kind of trends in, in, um, and I guess more commercial punk in the Obama years. And I was like, wait, that was like the rise of like surf punk music. <laughs> like it, was right. like, it was like very right. like, I don't know. I I guess I can't speak for all of it, but there was, I don't know. Like it, it didn't seem like there was this urgent sense in those years in. Aggressive oh, for music. sure. For sure. You know, and, and you're right. There was a joke. Well, this would be great for punk rock. It's like, I'd rather it not be. Yeah. You know, I'd much rather not have this fucking monster and, you know, with the nuclear codes, you know, right. we'll be, we'll be just fine. We got enough to write about, you know, please don't elect this fucking asshole. Um, but anyway, you know, it happened and here we are and it does, unfortunately lend itself to, to good music, you know? Yeah. Well, we, we were talking about earlier, um, about you, you know, there is a need to kind of move on from, um, certain elements of punk, but there are all there are all these legends out there kind of doing it in great ways like bad religion like this the descendants um rise against has recorded a lot with bill stevenson um who's sure. a hero to everyone you know as he, yeah. he should be um I, I guess what what has it been like having such a relationship with him and working in the blasting room so much well, you know, for me, it's a bit of a loaded question because I had a band called Hagfish in the 90s when I was a child. 
And we were one of the first bands to record at the Blasting Room in 1995. So I had been chasing Bill, <clears throat> excuse me, since I was 16 years old, because I worshipped him. We were just trying to rip off the descendants and all and everything Bill had ever done. And so we would open for them and they would come through Dallas, which is where I'm from. This was a band I had with my brother. <clears throat> we got signed to a major label in the 90s, like every other punk rock band, because everybody wanted a Green Day or a Offspring, you know. And it's funny because I guess we were, quote unquote, pop punk back then, even though we were just trying to rip off the Descendants. And to see this, you know, aforementioned resurgence of that genre is just blowing my mind. But anyway, um, so we recorded with Bill in 95. They had they were still building the studio. And that started my relationship with Bill. Uh, he did all of Hackfish's records. And then we had a band together called Only Crime that toured with Rise Against. And that's how I joined Rise Against. So for every every two to three years since 1995, I've been at the Blasting Room in Fort Collins, Colorado for two or three months making a record. Whether it be Hackfish, Only Crime, my brother has a surf instrumental project called Max Seven that Bill plays drums on. You know, it's we record those records there, and then to rise again. So I, it's just my alma mater. You know, I quit high school and started recording at the Blast Room. That's so it, it, yeah, and it has that sort of feel to me, that sort of uh, pride. You know, when they do well, and 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 so it just it's a home away from home for me. And so it's it's a big question, but Bill then is sort of ubiquitous in all things rise against, you know, he's definitely the fifth member, you know, he's, he's, he, it, it's an understatement to just say he's important to us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, yeah. a lot of people just know him simply as, you know, the drummer, of the descendants, the drummer of black right. flag, if you go a little further, but you know, with the descendants, he was a main songwriter and and he's just such a talented engineer, uh, producer, sure. and you know just musical figure all around. There's I'd, I've read or heard stories. I can't remember where I I gleaned this information, but like that he would dream up songs and kind of wake up and have the full instrumentation and everything down for yeah. his songs. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he's he's something to behold. You know, he's definitely uh, one of those people that is programmed differently you know um he can hear three-part harmonies and sing you every part you know as if he's just taking dictation from somewhere else um you know he can sing a note to you like oh, try c sharp and he'll sing that note to you you know things like that like he's he's it's one of the greatest things for my music my musicality if you will um has been being in close proximity to him yeah absolutely have you ever noticed um uh like that kind of magic in the studio working with a band like has he uh, absolutely uh, always every day yeah you know every day i think it's a true testament to why our records hold up and do great and 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 sound the way they do it's because we have bill stevenson in our corner absolutely yeah <laughs> i owe my career to i owe my career to him too i owe the reason i'm here the reason i'm talking to you you know the whole thing yeah it's because I, I was smart enough. I wasn't smart, but I was smart enough to will him to like me <laughs> when I was a kid. So the last 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last um, kind of original material that the band did was Wolves back in 2017. Is is that right? Um, I I guess you know with such a long period in between original material, you did that acoustic record. Um, uh, was was there kind of a need at that point to kind of give the band some breathing room and kind of have a reset in some sense? Yes and no. I mean, I think we also really wanted to experiment with trying something new as a band that had been together at that point for almost 20 years. Um, Tim and I have always done stripped down acoustic versions of our songs for press and for radio and things like that. And I think the idea was just like, hey, let's try this with a full band. And so that record, the Ghost Note Symphonies, um, it started as a thing we were just going to sort of, I can't remember exactly what the impetus for doing it in the first place was, but it was just going to be recording a few songs acoustic with full band, uh, for something. I'm not going to re-release or, or, or something. I, I, um, and it worked so well, we ended up recording that whole record within like a week, you know, it was nothing. And it was just super quick. And in, in Colorado, we, there's a and through the blasting room, through the other engineers there, uh, producers there, Chris Beeble and Andrew Berlin, they knew a lot of multi-instrumentalist guys that could play violin and viola and, and upright bass. And so we're like, well, let's just add all these elements and add, you know, keyboards and places and stuff like that. And so I, it really became fun. And then we just got obsessed with it and wanted to make a whole record. So I really think it was just one of those things, just to challenge ourselves and do the polar opposite of what we usually do as a band, which is trying to play loud and fast and you know aggressive. And you know we uh, would really like to do another one of those very soon. But I think yes, it might have been to give us sort of creatively a break, you know, and a way to keep working and to keep touring and doing what we love, but trying to challenge ourselves with a totally different concept. Did that challenge kind of rejuvenate the band going into the studio this time? Like, did it seem like you were you were kind of like, um, I, I think of like people trying to increase their vertical leap, you know, yeah. dunk or something, you know, like putting weights yeah, on their ankles. Sure, I think so. I mean, I think, I think it's uh, it brought a new perspective to us, and it definitely made us a little more co- confident and comfortable. You know, usually when you record, um you haven't been in the studio for two or three years. And so that was a great way to get in there and sort of, you know, cause there was a lot of times you get back in and you're like, wait, I forgot how all this works and what I'm supposed to do and how I hold my hands and whatever it might be, you know? And so it was a good way to sort of exactly what you said, you know, get some, some, some time behind us before we went back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm noticing your, uh, your minor threat tattoo. I, I also have one. Oh yeah. Not, not as great, but, yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> I actually ironically got it when I was pretty drunk once. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was pretty That's great. Cheap tattoo. I had Siv from uh Gorilla Biscuits actually did this on me. Oh nice. Uh, singer of Gorilla. Yeah. He did it with uh to Tim and to Joe. We all got it done at the same time. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, I, I don't drink anymore. Um, but it's it's just funny that I got it when I was drinking. I'm just thinking about that. But uh I feel like minor threat tattoos are are tattoos that or at least anything like when you get a band tattoo, there's always the risk that, you know, the band could do something problematic further down the line. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. Like I think, black, I think there's black safe. flag bars, you know, like the, sure. the legacy is a little tainted, but you know, it's not that problematic, but sure. I feel like minor threat is a safe one. I think you're, you know, I think you're going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I guess like what's, 
I, I know the band has a tour coming up. Yes. You're, you're playing some dates. Like, um, uh, are, are you in rehearsals for that right now or how's it going? No, we just got back from Europe for a month and like, uh, it's about five weeks. And so we're home for 12 days. So I'm leaving again Thursday and today is Tuesday. Um, and we were just played so much. We don't need to practice, you know, uh, <laughs> nice. We're just going to see each other at the first show and, and just, you know, keep going. Um, but, you know, if we haven't seen each other in a while, if we haven't been around each other in a while, we definitely will practice for a few days. But we always give ourselves two or three days and then we end up being fine after one day. And we just do this so much. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. that's that's a good problem to have, though, you know. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's all. I mean, how was um, yeah. How was touring in Europe? Was it like were you nervous going into it or were you oh, just man. pandemic wise? No, no. I mean it was fine. You know, um, yeah. we took our own precautions and, and did our own thing. And, you know, culturally, whatever, you know, country we were in might've been doing things differently. There's countries where they they're past it. They're not wearing masks anymore. They don't give a shit. They're treating it like, you know, a common cold at this point. And then there's countries where the, it was much more prevalent. People were double masking and things like that. We just wore ours, tried to stay as, as sequestered as we could, um, you know, with list and stuff, having people backstage and just kept our, our heads down and, and did the job, you know, but, uh, for us nervous, it was like, this was what we do. You know, usually we're in Europe two or three times a year. So it was just really gratitude, uh, <clears throat> and joy to get back over there and doing what we, you know, really love to do. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, you know the band is is real is pretty successful you know and 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 a big you know it's it's a rise against is 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 a big name i i guess like how do you um i i guess with a team around the band and everything like that you know it's it's a big apparatus like um how how do you ensure safety with the crew and everything like that I mean, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the times it's just fingers crossed, you know, yeah, you, right. you, you test as much as you can. You, they try to stay as as safe as they can on days off and things like that. But the, most of the time we're rolling as such a close knit unit and, you know, but there's only so much you can do. You know, we have 12 people in our crew. There's four of us. Everybody's you know, you're at a festival, which thankfully it's outdoors, but you know, I mean, the circuit, the sort of mitigating factors and stuff, it's like, that's, it's, it's impossible to kind of keep it all under wraps. So you just do what you can. You know? Well, Zach, it was, it was awesome meeting you, man. Thanks so much for doing hey, this. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It was awesome meeting you as well. All Great right. questions. All right. Take care, man. Take care, buddy. Bye.